Well, this morning we are going to look at one of the most beautiful and probably one of the most powerful passages, certainly in the, in the letter to the Philippians, but some would argue throughout all of the New Testament. Uh, the uh, passage is found in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there with me. And as you've uh, seen, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, the Apostle Paul has been developing this idea through these uh, scriptures that we are to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he began by explaining how we lived in the world around us with the pressures upon us in a way that was worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about how to live together within the church in unity in light of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he's going to take that idea to its ultimate conclusion. And he's going to give us the ultimate example of how it is that we ought to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that example is Jesus. And his message to us is going to be this. If you want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, imitate Jesus. And so here's what he says in this passage. And we're going to look at it carefully today. Beginning in verse 5, he says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In those few short verses, the Apostle Paul traces the story of Jesus from his pre-incarnate glory in heaven through his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his glorification. And the Apostle Paul says that those of us who are followers of Jesus are called to pattern our life after his, to imitate his life. And this is how he begins. In verse 5, he says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, uh, during COVID, we did what apparently millions of other families around the country did. We got a dog. Not that we needed another dog. We already had a dog. But uh, my wife and my daughter, they wore me down. And so we went and we got another a, a puppy. Uh, her name is Macy. She's a mini golden doodle. She is so cute. She's also a little terror. We've come to call her the little Tasmanian devil because she just, I mean, she tears the place up. She... She chews every shoe that she can find. She chases the kids around, nipping at their heels until they're standing on the couch. And then she jumps on the couch and attacks them there. And I mean, it is awesome. Uh, but she's a puppy. So that also means that she has accidents. And so we just clean those up. But we bought this spray to spray after we cleaned up the accident that smelled bad because it's a way to keep the puppy from thinking that she should go and do the same thing there again. The only problem is the spray that we bought smelled so bad that we're like, we can't spray that in our house. It's terrible. So we took it, we put it in the back seat of our car so we could take it back to the store. Uh, what we didn't realize is the cap wasn't on properly. And so all night, that stinky, smelly, whatever it was, just poured out on the cloth seat of the back of our relatively new car. So the next day when we got in that car, we just, the stench was unbelievable. And, and it just, I mean, it doesn't matter what we have done, we can't get rid of it. We've washed it, we've used soap, we put baking soda on it. For like weeks in spring, when it was pouring rain outside, we, we drove with all four windows down because we couldn't stand the stench. 
But it turns out that no matter what we do, we can't get rid of that smell. It just permeates the whole thing. And I think it's part of the car now. And we're going to have this car for like the next 10 years at least. It's terrible. Now, I tell you that because when Paul talks about this idea that you, you should have the mind, the same mind that is in Christ Jesus, what he's talking about is that we should have a mindset, an, an attitude that kind of permeates all of our life, permeates all of our thinking. But like that stench in my car, it should, just, it should just be everywhere. No matter what you do, it just doesn't go away. Unlike the stench in my car, though, it shouldn't be a bad smell. Rather, it should be a sweet smell, a sweet aroma. Like, like you know, when your wife goes by and she's wearing a beautiful perfume and you just catch a, a whiff, you're like, oh, that, that's so attractive. That's, that's so beautiful. That's the kind of aroma that we should have. That's the kind of attitude and mindset that we should have. And Paul is now going to explain to us what it is. Here's, here's what that attitude should be. Beginning in verse 5 again, he says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here's what the Apostle Paul begins by explaining. He explains that before Jesus came to earth, he was, he is God. He is a full-fledged member of the, of the Trinity with all of the power and the beauty and the majesty that comes from being God. And, and Paul goes on to say that though he was God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. And what Paul is saying here is this, that even though he had this, this position as God, he did not use it for his advantage. He did not exploit his position for his own benefit. And this is utterly counterintuitive, certainly in that day, also in our day. I mean, in that day, all of the gods, all of the ancient gods used their position and their power for their own benefit, to make their own life better and more beautiful. And all of the lords in that day, the, the primary one being Caesar himself, seized power, not for the benefit of those around them, not for the benefit of the people, but for their own benefit. And anything that Caesar did that was for the benefit of the people was also and always done with the calculation that somehow, even if it was good for the people, it would ultimately be even better for him. That's the attitude of the day. And it's been throughout history. Uh, there's this uh, great story, 1861. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is the president of the United States. The Civil War is going on. And he appoints a guy named Salmon Chase. That's a name for you, right? Salmon Chase. Uh, Salmon Chase to be the Treasury Secretary. In other words, his position and his role required him to uh, raise finances for the government of the United States, which at that time was almost bankrupt, in the middle of an economic crisis, to finance a war that no one wanted to be fighting. So he had a tough job. Uh, and uh, and uh, Salmon Chase was brilliant. He was gifted. He was hardworking. But he was also a man who looked out for himself. In fact, uh, one of his colleagues described him this way. He said, Salmon Chase has an inordinate ambition, intense selfishness for official distinction, and considerable vanity. It's quite the description from his uh, co-workers there. And, uh, uh, and, and Salmon Chase was responsible for raising money. So one of the things he did is he instituted the first greenback. He was the first one to uh, have the United States government issue paper bills uh, for currency. And the, uh, the bill, the, the $1 bill, he needed to put somebody's image on it. So whose image did he choose? Was it Abraham Lincoln's, George Washington? No. You know whose image he chose? His own. 
Every single $1 bill had an image of Sam and Chase himself. And he ordered that it be put on the $1 bill, not the five or the 10, because he knew that the one would be in the widest circulation possible. Nice, very humble. But the fact of the matter is, he was simply using his position that he found himself to advance his own agenda and what he wanted for himself. And, 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 and this temptation is still one that we face in our own day. Now, none of us would be as vain as Chase was, but the fact of the matter is often we still want to put our stamp, our, our image on what we do. We, we want people to see what we do and say, wow, he's a great guy. Uh, amazing what she did. Wow, wow. I mean, we just have that kind of temptation to use what we have for our benefit. And, and if we're not doing that, we know others who do, right? I mean, even when they're doing something kind for others, we know that somewhere, somehow, they're scheming so that it is for their benefit. And even when they don't say, there's just this, this aroma, this, this odor that comes from them, this smell that kind of permeates all that they do. But that's not what Jesus did. If we're going to imitate Jesus, if we're going to follow him, then here's the first thing that we should notice. Jesus didn't use his position for his own advantage. Jesus didn't use the fact that he was God to just make sure that his life, that his existence was wonderful and beautiful and amazing. And as followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul calls us to have that same mindset. You know, the fact that that you and I, that we live in Canada with all of the opportunities and all the freedoms that we have, stuff that the, so many people around the world can only dream of. The, the education that you have, the, 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 the skills and gifts that God has given you, the, the resources that are available to you, the, the health that you have, all of that is not just so that you can leverage it for your own benefit, not just so that you can use it to grasp for the better life and for continually having more and more and more stuff. That's the mindset of the world, but that's not the mindset of Jesus. And therefore, it should never be our mindset if we're followers of Jesus. Because if that was Jesus' mindset, he would have never left the glories of heaven to come down here. He would have let us suffer and die in our own sins without a, a way of salvation. But Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But rather, here's, here's what he did. Look at, look at verse 7. But rather, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of God. You see, Jesus became a man. Jesus took on flesh. And it says here, he made himself nothing. Now, that, that phrase in Greek literally means he emptied himself. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. When Jesus came to earth, he was 100% fully God. But when he took on flesh, he also became 100% fully human, fully God, but fully man. So when it says that he emptied himself, when he became nothing, that doesn't mean that he stopped being God. Rather, it means that he poured out his life to the last drop in service to others. He took on the form of a servant. See, the power that he had as God, he leveraged not to control, but rather to serve. It was, it was used to love one another. See, Jesus used his power in service of others. This was Jesus' mindset. It, it, it was what permeated all that he did. In fact, in Mark 10, he says this. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to, to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the same mindset that Paul calls on you and I to have. This is the aroma that should permeate our lives in all that we do. 
So that means that the power that you have, the positions of influence that you have, the giftings that God has given you, the knowledge that you have, the time and the money that is available to you, your creativity and your strength, and really any good gift that God has poured in your life should be used for the service of others. Because you see, this is the very nature of God himself. You know, it should be that when, when the managers at work are talking about who gets to join their team, they should be arguing about you because your heart is always to serve, you know, the best interests of others. They should say, we want her on our team because we know that she always looks out for the interests of others. They should say, we want him on our payroll because we know that he's not about himself, he's about others. They should say, I hope that that couple doesn't move out of our neighborhood because they're always looking out for what is best for us in our neighborhood. People should say, I want him to be my friend. I want her to be my friend because I know that they're always going to look out for what's best for me. That's the kind of attitude that should permeate our lives. And when a whole church has that attitude, when, when a whole community of people called to follow Jesus together in a particular place has that attitude in their city, not, oh, I can't believe that the things that are happening in the world around us and the way they're trying to corrupt our children and all that. But rather when our attitude as the followers of Jesus, as a community of, of Jesus, is how can we use the good things that God has given us? How, how can we use the resources and the gifts to, to make our city better? to bless the people around us so they do better. I mean, then our church gives off this beautiful aroma. Then, then our church becomes a city set on a hill, a, a city on a ridge. Then we become like this lamp that the people don't want to put a cover over, but rather they say things like this. I, I don't believe what those Christian people do, but I sure love that they're in our city because they, they're blessing our city. And then people see our good deeds and they glorify God. You see, that's the mindset that we should have that should permeate our lives as we imitate Jesus. But Jesus doesn't stop here. He goes, he goes further again. Look at the verse 8. He begins this way. It begins this way. It says, and being found in human form. You see, first of all, we need to notice that Jesus identified with us. Jesus, though he was God, he comes in human form and he identifies with who we are. And if you read the Gospels, you know that he not only identified with us as human beings, but he went out of his way to identify and to connect with those who were on the, on the edge of society, those who were on the periphery, those who were overlooked. I mean, he hung out with the fishermen and the, and the tax collectors, the Samaritans and the children, the, 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 the women and the, uh, you know, those who were poor. He, he made sure to identify with those who were on the edge of society in those days. And he connected with them. He brought them dignity and grace, life and salvation. And this should be our mindset too. You know, Mother Teresa had this mindset. You know, in her day, leprosy was this thing that was stigmatized and feared. And, you know, people would literally abandon members of their own family if they had leprosy and leave them to live a life of utter isolation and literally to die in isolation. But not Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa identified with him, not as a leper to a leper, but as a human being to a human being. As one person who is made in the image of God to another person who is made in the image of God. And so she reached out to them. And it didn't matter how deformed their face was or, or the, how rotting their leg was or how fierce their appearance was in any way. 
She reached out and she, she cared for them and she loved them in Jesus' name. And this should be our mindset too. The sweet aroma of Christ should just waft from us as we, as we look for those around us, those who, those who are on the periphery, those who have been left behind, really anyone that, that Jesus puts in our life. And we should look for how it is that we serve them and how, how we love them. So that means the refugee, the, the orphan, the widow, uh, the, the poor and the homeless, those who are lonely. You know, the kid at school who everyone else doesn't want anything to do. The person in our workplace who, who lacks some social graces, who is struggling at work. Th those who live radically different lifestyles than we do. Wherever God puts those people in our lives, we ought to love them and to serve them and identify with them the way that Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And then, and then he did this. Look at the second part of verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, here's what else Jesus did. Jesus willingly died for the sake of others. And if you notice here, everything that Jesus has done, all of the, all of the humbling that he has done, he has done to himself. No one has humbled Jesus. No one in heaven, above or earth, below or under the earth could have possibly humbled Jesus even if they wanted to because he was God. And yet at every level, Jesus willingly humbles himself until he humbles himself to the point of becoming obedient to death on a cross. Now think about that. God on a cross. It is the most extreme contrast possible. It is, it is a divine scandal. It is a cosmic scandal, the greatest scandal in, in all of history. You know, in, in the Roman world, the cross was the most detested, humiliating, hated form of, 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 of death that was possible. I mean, it wasn't even spoken of in polite company. No one in the ancient world wore a chain with a cross around their neck. No one emblazoned a cross on their Bible or, or built a church and, and lit a cross on the top of it. The cross was abhorrent. It was, it was hated. It was saved as the most cruel punishment only for slaves and insurrectionists. And yet, here is the one who was God himself who humbled himself and allowed himself to be crucified by the very people that he came to save. It's the ultimate picture of humility. And is the ultimate picture of love. And Jesus did it for us. And that same mindset, believe it or not, is what Paul is calling for you and I to have when it comes to imitating Jesus. We, we need to be willing to die to ourselves for the sake of others. Not as some doormat that anyone can just walk on us whenever they want, but rather willingly humbling ourselves so that we can love and serve those around us. And if you understand what Paul's saying here, if you really stop and think about it, it'll make you say, wow, I don't think that I can do that. I'm not even sure that's really reasonable to ask of somebody to do. And frankly, I don't know that I could do it. And yet, in our, and in fact, in our own strength, I don't think that we can. But when we look to the example of Jesus, when we imitate him and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, then it becomes possible. You see, the greatest glory is to give that we can have is to give our glory for someone else. And, and there is nothing more beautiful than, than giving our beauty to save someone else. And this is what Jesus did. And, and this is what he calls us to do. And when Jesus does this, look at what God does. 
Look at what God does for Jesus. Verse 9 says this, Therefore, therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus humbled himself in so many ways to the point of death, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus humbled himself in all of these ways, and now this is what God does. God exalts Jesus. He exalts him to the highest place. He gives him the name that is above every name. And in fact, here Paul echoes the words of God himself in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah uh, chapter 45, verse 23 it, God himself says this. He says, by myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. If you go back and read that chapter, Isaiah chapter 45, you will find that it is the most forceful, the clearest declaration in all of the Old Testament of God's sovereignty over both history and salvation. Four times in that chapter, God declares that he is sovereign over all. Three times he, he declares that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. And the fourth time he declares, he says, I am God, and there is no other. And it's on that fourth time that he adds this saying. He says this, he says, turn to me and be saved, all of you to the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And then he says these words that, that are used here in Philippians chapter 2. He says, by myself I have sworn, my mouth is uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. Before me, every tongue will confess. The highest exaltation. The, the, the ultimate submission. The supreme confession to the greatest name. And that name, that name is Yahweh, the Lord. And now Paul says, that same name has been bestowed upon Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God. You see, this is how God exalted Jesus after Jesus so humbled himself. Because in God's economy, humility always leads to exaltation. And again, this is very counterintuitive. Imagine, imagine for a moment that you were to, to gather in a room some of the greatest business consultants, the greatest political consultants, the greatest marketing consultants of all time. And you gathered these people in a room and you said, I have a goal. My goal is I want to be the the most famous and influential person who ever lived. Centuries from now, I want entire cultures to be built upon my teachings. And I want hundreds of millions of people to center their life on me. What should I do? Now, assuming they don't laugh you out of the room, what would they say? Well, I know what they wouldn't say. They wouldn't say, to do that, you ought to be born in obscurity. You should avoid any association with any kind of powerful political or economic or academic institutions. Instead, you should spend your entire life serving those who are on the margin, those who are on the periphery. And then you should be killed tragically in your early 30s before you even write a book. That's what they would not say. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. And God exalted him. To this day, to this day, uh, throughout the globe, Nobody or very few people gather to, in, in groups to study the writings of Plato and Aristotle. And yet around the globe, hundreds of millions of people gather from the finest, most 
incredible mansions in the most beautiful communities to the simplest of little gatherings under a tree in a, in a field. They gather to study and to examine the life and the teachings of Jesus and to allow those teachings to change and transform their lives. The humble life of Jesus, his willingness to, to give his life for us means that God has exalted him to the highest place. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord because God exalted him. And this same principle, the same principle applies in our lives. If we have that same mindset as Jesus, if we imitate him, if our lives are permeated with the aroma of Christ, then he will exalt us too. If that's the case, then we don't have to spend our lives always grasping for more, always trying to leverage every possible moment and every strength of ours so that somehow we can attain honor and success in the world. Because if we imitate Jesus, God will take care of that for us. God, God will honor us. In fact, listen, listen to what Jesus himself says about this. Matthew 23, he says this. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And the apostle Peter, he writes this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he might exalt you. And James, who always is fairly blunt and just puts it just as it is, he writes this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See, this is how God operates. This is what God does. If you are willing to follow Jesus' example and imitate him and humble yourself, God will exalt you in his time and in his way. You know, a number of years ago, uh, D.A. Carson, he's, a, he's a, a pastor and a teacher. He had the opportunity to interview two very influential Christians. Uh, one of them, a guy named Dr. Carl Henry, and the other guy, a guy named Dr. Kenneth Cancer. Uh, both of them were men in their 80s at the time, both incredibly influential in the Christian world. One had written all kinds of books and, and it was studied and, and read. The other founded one of the, the most influential and important seminaries in the Western world. And, he, uh, and, and both had been involved with Billy Graham. Both had been part of the Lausanne movement of world evangelism. Both had been part of uh, Christianity Today, a very influential uh, Christian periodical magazine. Uh, and many, many other places where they were just so, so important in, in the evangelical world. And so D.A. Carson, he had this opportunity to interview them and he asked them a number of questions. And near the end of the interview, he asked them this question. They didn't know it was coming. He said, look, you guys have been extraordinarily influential. And he said, I don't want to be sort of cheesy flattery, but you know, you have been amazing at retaining your integrity through this whole experiences in your life you're strong and yet neither of you become egotistical you haven't become you know succumbed to some sort of eccentric doctrine you haven't built your own empire and he asked them this question he said by the grace of God how is it that you have managed to live this way and both of these men were, were flustered they weren't expecting the question they they didn't even think like that and, and and they didn't know what to say and then one of them said with kind of this gentle outrage he simply said this how on earth can anyone be arrogant when they stand next to the cross? How, how on earth 
Could you and I be arrogant in light of what Jesus has done on the cross? The call on our lives is to such humility in light of who Jesus is. And these men, these very influential men, they had understood that throughout their careers. They had understood that, I mean, that their mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That that their position as influential people in the Christian world was not to be leveraged for their benefit, for their advancement, but rather they were to humble themselves and follow the way of the cross like their Savior had. And God, and God was the one who would honor them. In our world where everything is about self-promotion, about looking so good, about using every conceivable opportunity and strength that we have and leveraging it for our own advancement and our own advantage, this mindset is so counterintuitive. It is so radical. And yet it is the way of Jesus. It is the way of life. It is how we ought to live so that we live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So trust him. Follow him, imitate him, walk in his ways and watch and see what God does in your life as you follow him. Let me pray for you. Oh God, we thank you again for Jesus. God, we thank you that he would leave the glory of heaven and humble himself and come down and and identify himself with us and, and take on the form of a servant and then be obedient to the point of death that we might have life God, thank you, thank you, thank you for what Jesus has done. And God, may we walk in his footsteps. May we imitate what he has done. Father, so that we also live in humility, that we humble ourselves so that we live in a way that honors you as we follow Jesus. And Father, we, we I pray that you would give us the strength to do that. It's just so counter to our, our human nature. It's counter to our culture around us. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to come in again. And give us the strength to imitate Jesus so that the aroma of Christ, that sweet aroma, would flow out from our lives to those around us. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, and we ask you to lead us forward from here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.